and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Spillers. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope you're all doing well, keeping warm as we start to get properly into the autumn and still managing to get some time with your horses despite those longer nights drawing in. This month, we bring you an interview with six-time Olympian Carl Hester. He looks back on this year's successes, including European team gold and a national championships win, and also looks forward to next year's Paris Olympics. You know, I've tried to commit myself towards next year. I'm feeling excited about it. You know, I just have to keep my fingers crossed that I'm riding well enough and the horses are going well enough to try and be part of that team for next year. We'll then hear from Spillers nutritionist Georgina Burgoyne, who will talk about conditioning horses with winter coming up. In essence, you know, if we've got a fat horse, use winter to slim them down. Whereas for our poor doers, the aim is to prevent um, weight loss before it starts. We just need to be proactive and, you know, keep an eye on them is, is the best strategy. So with no further ado, pull on your crash hat and let's get started. I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and welcome to this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast. Today, we have a real treat for you all, as I'm thrilled to have none other than the maestro of dressage himself, Carl Hester, joining me as a guest. Carl is a six-time Olympian and a multi-medaled dressage rider, a trainer of what sometimes feels like every other top rider in Britain, and he is the man who has been really behind the phenomenal journey that British dressage has been on over the last 10 to 12 years. Carl, hello. Thanks so much for taking the time in your busy schedule to join us. How are you? Oh, good morning, Polly. Well, I'm really well. I'm actually speaking to you from uh, having a day off in Cornwall. So, oh, that sounds that's lovely. I've got a beautiful view in front of me while I'm talking to you. Oh, wonderful. I'm very, very glad to hear it. Um, I mentioned just there the, the incredible rise of British dressage over the past decade. Um, we're all now very accustomed, I think, to Britain being a serious player on the on the world stage of dressage. But I think our growth as a dressage nation has really been on a lot of people's minds just recently because it was just last month that you and Charlotte Dujardin, Lottie Fry and Gareth Hughes won Britain's first team gold medal at a championship since the London Olympics in 2012. Yeah. And it was such an extraordinary week of sport. We all enjoyed it so much. And I know it was very special for you on a, on a personal basis with, with your horse. But just firstly, what does it mean for British dressage to be back on top, so to speak, and to finally win that gold medal again? Well, I, I think very much, you know, when you have, as you said, we have won a gold in the past. And it seems a lifetime ago <laughs> uh, that we won that uh, original goal back in 2011 at those uh, Rotterdam Europeans which was a monumental occasion for all of us. And to come back again, I mean, you kind of like, you kind of like think it's not going to happen again in perhaps your lifetime as a rider or will you have a horse in the future that's capable of these scores? And, and again, as I always said, you know, it's not about one person. It's about four good riders with great horses being able to come together on the day. And you never know when that, how that cycle works. You know, we see it with uh, other countries. It was Denmark's turn. Uh, last year to win the gold and that was you know a huge occasion for them as well I know speaking to many of the Danish riders about how uh, that changed uh, things for them back at home in media interest and in growth in the sport and in younger people wanting to come and have a go so it is really really important and it was just it was it was a really 
beautiful occasion for us. I think, you know, suddenly we realised two weeks out, you know, became very apparent the way people were talking, <laughs> that we were favourites. Yeah. And I think I remember you saying, you know, the difference, of course, in a, in a, in a dressage team as opposed to an eventing team or a show jumping team where it really is a lot more open. Mm. You, you predicted that we would be a team that could win a gold. And of course, that, of course, heaps, thank you very much, Polly, but it heaps <laughs> loads of pressure on you. Um, because you've suddenly realised, yes, we if we all do perform at how things have been going, we were going to uh, certainly be in shot of that gold. So, of course, even sweeter to, to win it on, as, as, as many of us consider, uh, the home of dressage, of course, being in Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, such a big history in the sport, a big history of gold medals, uh, and to be able to go and take one there was also uh, an icing on the cake. Yeah, and it was just so absolutely wonderful to watch. What an exciting week it was. And of course, one of the most exciting things was seeing your um, your lovely horse, Fame, who I know is owned by by the Bigwood family. Um, because you've only yep. started riding him sort of at the start of this year. He's still relatively new in that respect. And he played such an enormous part in that team. Gold, you were the overnight leader after day one of the Grand Prix. You were, I think it was fifth in the special. And you only went and scored your highest ever freestyle score. I think it was 85.46. Um, how amazing was it that fame, you know, really came into his own that week and produced his very, very best at just the right moment? Well, he's an incredible horse. And I mean, <laughs> I really did feel there um, that our stars aligned together. You know, his trust in me finally felt right. Mine in him as well, of course, because, you know, riding, you know, these types of horses, you're very often never quite sure how it's going to go because they are... Um, you know, highly strung. Yeah. And, you know, he is one of those horses. But you know, I could feel over this year, you know, each show I've done, I've been getting more and more out of him. And, you know, I've been feeling that he's trusted me more in those sorts of situations. So I, I have been focusing on the Grand Prix because, of course, that's what was going to win us the team medal. And that's where he really excelled. I mean, that must be one of the best Grand Prix I've probably done um, <laughs> in my career. Um, as in, you know, it was clean and he was so lovely, he had all that energy that you need for higher scores and yet he was relaxed for him. So he really did produce his, his absolute best in that. The special, I really feel, you know, looking for the future, of course, is the test that he could really sell out because he's so good yeah. at those difficult things, the passage and the pirouettes. And I just didn't feel uh, on this occasion that although it was, I was delighted with how he went, you know, to get a score over 80. Um, took me to another level again with him. But I just feel that, you know, that's a test that you need to work on. And yeah. the music, of course, I hadn't even ridden him to a music. But, you know, how many times a week can you score a horse? How many times can you practice all these tests? Of course, you can't. You just have to work on the basics. You have to work on details, you know, your halts, your, the way that you can change outlines and the way that you can seamlessly do transitions. So, you know, it's not really all about the test. So I had just been practicing with Grand Prix and I just feel if I'd had a little bit more time, uh, that special could have even been more special. And my music, well, I was just delighted to get to the end. So, <laughs> um, you know, because again, I was just like, I wonder how he'll cope with this. It was a rock concept feel going in there on the last yeah. day. And it was, you know, we'd had 35 degrees all week. These horses had performed out of their skins but you really do need a horse that has that energy to last until uh, the Sunday when the music was and he came out absolutely still on fire ready for that uh, music test but I think moving forward 
again, you know, all all of those details. If you look towards Paris next year, mm. you're all, you know, those people that know how the dressage team will work next year. It goes back uh, as it was in Tokyo to being about the Grand Prix special. Yeah, and you know, so I did say to Charlotte after we finished the season, you know, next year really will be. Uh, about working towards the Grand Prix special because that's what's going to uh, bring the bring the medals for the team. Absolutely, and that was yeah, so exciting that that fame was so great in that test, and that you have so much sort of confidence in his ability to to get even better by by next year. Um, and talking of of Charlotte and and also of horses who have a lot of energy for three tests, um, Charlotte and Imotep, who who I know you own along with um, Coraling, and they also put in their best ever performances as a, as a combination during that week. And a lot of people you know, we're, we're talking about them in the run-up. A lot of people did have them pegged for a potential a potential individual medal, but, you know, they just blew everyone away and were such incredibly strong contenders. How how proud were you seeing that horse, Pete, who was not always the easiest, doing what he did in that arena? Well, I've had Pete since he was two and a half years old, so I know him really well. And watching his development and his relationship and his bond uh, with Charlotte changed so much. Uh, over the last few years, it's been an incredible joy, pleasure for me to watch. I was so, I think last year, really, you know, like just, you know, that really was a moment for me watching him at the World Games at such a young age. We didn't overproduce him. You know, he'd hardly done any shows last year. He went to the World Games. He has that attitude of bravery. He has that attitude of let me do do whatever I can do to help. He's so strong in his character mm. um that he can deal with anything you throw at him and again this year you know he did very little shows on the build up to this we've just been trying to build his strength at home train him we you know with this in mind i mean charlotte is i think getting more and more praise for her way of test riding you know i mean yeah. i think she did three faultless tests i mean in atmosphere in weather conditions I mean, whatever you throw at that pair, they still keep coming up with the goods. And, you know, he might not be the best horse in the world physically, Pete. But, I mean, with that combination of him and Charlotte together, you know, they just they just don't let any marks disappear. And, you know, it's just one eight after another. And, you know, she's so clever in the technical bits with her pirouettes and all of her horses, you know, pirouette in this fantastic fashion and... You just see how she claws marks as she rides through a test. And it's just sensational to watch. And she's, you know, over, you know, we are 14, 15 years together now. So she's starting to develop more, you know, her own techniques and, you know, her own style. And it's just, it's just fabulous to watch her. And I, I can remember saying back in the early days, <laughs> I think Charlotte's the next Isabel work and getting laughed out of the room by the Germans. Um, but here she is. I mean, she's not even, you know, 40 years old and she's already produced four four different horses yeah. uh, to win medals. It's just amazing to see. It's really, really special to watch. And Pete just keeps coming of age. I mean, you know, like if you think about how he'll be next year, I mean, you know, we've got to really think about how we'll, how we'll do his winter's work um, mm. this year. I think he ought to you know, I don't think Charlotte will probably now ride him until next year. We'll just keep him ticking over with hacking and lunching and fitness and all things like that just to try and produce him for peak next year because you can't keep him on the go all winter and then, you know, for the summer with an Olympic game. So he doesn't know it's an Olympics, of course. I mean, that's what we have to remember. You're just going across the water yeah. as we can do, you know, easily in 10 hours. And uh, so it won't take too much stress out of them with the travelling. 
And, you know, he won't, I don't think Pete will mind whether it's, you know, Hartbury down the road or Paris <laughs> across the water. He won't, he doesn't know the difference. So I've really got a good feeling for him for next year. We just got to look after him uh, and keep him wrapped up for the winter. Absolutely. And I mean, it's so it's so interesting hearing about how little he might do in in that regard over the winter and you know to, to come out even stronger to come out even stronger next year and I know you you said in your um in your most recent column in Horse and Hound actually that uh you know horses in a way learn more when we're when we're not riding them when we're not schooling them you know I Absolutely. think that that can be really true can't it yeah definitely I mean you know, this mental break and, you know, they never forget anybody who's trained a horse, whatever you've trained it to do. I'm not just talking Grand Prix. They don't forget what they've learned, uh, especially if it's been done in a systematic way. And, you know, Pete knows the job now. I mean, the, you can see what's going to make him better. It's not actually doing more movements. It's being strong enough to carry himself in an even better way. Sure. And, you know, that is where the difference is. I mean, we're lucky with Pete, as, as you know, you know, he lives in a field, so he doesn't actually need work for exercise. You know, he exercises himself all night long, um, you know, out with, his, out with his mate Jaguar. So, you know, they just, they're always on the move and going, so that's really good for him. And he doesn't need to be fit until literally next March because, you know, his first outdoor show will probably be in April. I mean, there's a possibility he might do London, but, um, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, I'm hoping that Charlotte will have, a different one to ride for London in December so that we don't have to bring him up for a peak and then take him back down again and sure. then more time off until the spring. So I'm hoping, you know, we'll have to talk about it uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks about our plan for the winter, but I, I think that would be a good good option for him. And of course, there was Lottie and Glamourdale um, and, and Gareth and Classic Berlinka, um, who were just both absolutely outstanding at the Europeans. And of course, gold medalists, Jessica Von Brodo-Vandel and Delera Beebe. Um, and there were so many personal best scores, you know, among, among those riders, among other riders. I just wanted to ask, what do you make of the sort of the standard that we're seeing now in, in dressage? It is, it is getting so high, isn't it? And I know that I wasn't the only one probably frantically flipping back through the record books to check Vallegro's best ever scores to see if uh, if they might have been in, in danger at the Europeans. The, the standard is just so high at the moment, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's, it's the sport itself has evolved to be very competitive. Um, you know, that we have, you know, like I think as always over the years when you have a leading combination. So, you know, Jesse and Delera, who have, you know, dominated for the last few years, but also with with beautiful riding, you know, it's not it's not forced riding. It's beautiful riding. It's been easy to watch. You know, trying to get dressage back to, you know, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be. And of course, people can make mistakes uh, when they're doing a test. But it's not about that. But I think from what, you know, I mean, bear in mind when you're a competitor at a championship, you don't tend to watch mm. uh, a lot of tests. Um, you know, you'll be back in your stables or you'll be thinking about what you're doing and. Uh, whether you've got whether you've got room in your telco for lunch or that sort of thing and <laughs> I think that the um you know the standard from what everybody's saying is just so much higher all the way through I mean don't forget the dressage is open to the world so you know we have so many more um participants from you know generally probably not dressage nations mm. and you know they're all beginning even at that level uh, of people that perhaps aren't from a history of dressage you know their standards are starting to come up and to have had Jesse for the last few years as the leading 
combination, I think, has been uh, also very inspirational for other riders as to look at, you know, how they want to ride, how they want their horses to go. And again, as you just said, looking at the top three horses there with Dallera, with Imhotep, and of course, with uh, the wonderful Glamourdale. You have got three, you know, we talk about riders being different, but there you also have three totally uh, different types of horses in their shapes, their movements, um, but still all being produced uh, in a way that makes them top horses. So, you know, that standard, you, you know, it don't, it don't, you don't have to conform to having a certain type of confirmation in that type of horse. Um, you know, the training just has to be really, really good. And the competitiveness, of course, that those three mm. girls have between them <laughs> has to be very high. And all of them, I would say, are, are super keen to win. None of them wants to let that crown go. <laughs> no, that is so incredibly true. Um, and talking of, of crowns, you went straight from the Europeans pretty much into a very different melting pot, the National Dressage Championships at Summerford. And you uh, you were crowned British National Champion for the 11th time with the wonderful En Vogue, who I know so many people were so delighted to see on such brilliant form. Um, he's, of course, your, your Tokyo Olympic course, your Europeans ride from 2021. Um, just tell me a bit about how how that week was for you obviously hot on the heels of such an exciting week out in Germany well you know we came back from the gym I think I got back at like three o'clock in the morning on the Monday and um Charlotte had stayed out there because she was obviously flying back with her baby uh, on the Monday and we had all those horses leaving on the Wednesday for the national so I literally took three hours sleep got up started riding and you know they had I mean a wonderful a group of staff at home that had obviously kept the horses going that the week before mm. through their hacking and lunging and looking after them so beautifully and luckily the weather of course has been so good so all horses have been able to be kept out and um Vogue was I, I've kind of like I got a little bit relaxed with him this year from the point of view that I don't really I try and ride him for as short a period as possible uh in my schooling because he's just got the hang of it now and this year I seem to have found a key with him uh, of having him more relaxed by doing less. And um, so he he wasn't, I would say, probably at his best fitness-wise for the week of the Nationals. But he did feel really chilled and relaxed. Um, he did a super Grand Prix, but he, he is so clever. You know, he is still very nervous uh, as a personality. And he very quickly, <laughs> having done an arena walk and then my, then my test, he immediately like clocked on where the entrance was and how, you know, if he feels a little bit nervous, he always sort of like, he'll drift towards A, which of course at the Nationals, so those people that didn't see it, they don't actually shut the arena. So mm. it's an open arena at the bottom. Uh, and he is noise sensitive and I was delighted how he went in the Grand Prix, but yeah. it wasn't a, it wasn't my favourite way of finishing by doing the music with him because he was really on the edge. You know, the minute the music comes on it, it, it he needs more than, of course, the 45 seconds that we get given right. uh, to go around the edge. And when he's a little bit nervous, and he hadn't done a music since May, that was his uh, or June, I think, sorry, in, in Wellington. Um, so he hadn't, um, he wasn't used to it at all. And when the music came on, he, I could feel his heart rate going up and oh, he was it. clinging on for grim death. <laughs> and so it wasn't a, a beautiful test by any means. And I just, you know, I look, looked at it at the end as, I've had a, such a good season on both these horses. They're both talented. They're both brilliant. Vogue, of course, you know, the test, 
that I wasn't able to do was the special, and that is where he is so strong himself. So, um, and he wasn't, we don't have that at our national championship. So I've always got that to look forward to with him. I've never been um, one who's highly motivated by by the music. So <laughs> uh, it was a delight there, of course, and to, to be finished, uh, finished the season and be national champion, it was great. I mean, my whole career has been based around the national championships. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was setting up my own yard and I'd be riding, I have a yard full of all sorts of types of horses that I'd be riding for other people. And always our aim, of course, would be for them and for me to get them to the national championship. So it's always been a highlight up until probably about five, six years ago. And then I stopped, you know, competing at the lower level. So I haven't, you know, I've had a few years there where I haven't ridden at the nationals. So it was great to be back. And Summerford was a brilliant venue. But that was actually a, a, a very vibrant arena. There was a lot of noise in there. Uh, wonderful to actually have crowds back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, enjoying it. But that doesn't always make it enjoyable for Vogue when there's a lot of people uh, enjoying it and watching it. So he, he's the same again now. He will go into um, sort of like a semi-easy uh, state for the winter um, uh, and I will do exactly the same with him. Again, he's lucky because he can. he's also a field horse. So he can, have a, he can have a chilled winter as well and see where we go. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, I mean, obviously you, you, you've been been to so many national championships like you said over your time are there any sort of particular memories perhaps from sort of the the earlier days of your career at the nationals that really stand out any anything that you'll you'll never forget <laughs> well I mean as I said when I was uh, a work rider um yes when I set up my own yard you know I remember one year going with nine horses to the nationals and that was just incredibly difficult that was over three days you know over those three days I think I, I I don't I lost count of how many tests I did, but it was just I think what I remember the most about it was actually remembering all the tests that is very um, impressive. I was doing back then, um, and uh, a wonderful horse I had called Legal Democrat, who was in fact crowned national champion three times, and mm. at Grand Prix level, and that was a brilliant, brilliant horse that we just seemed to rise and shine there every year we went there and. So he stands out as something uh, from the championships that will always uh, be etched in my mind. I mean, he was such a such a cool horse for that, with a great story um, that had come to me um, as a horse that had I was doing a competition and it was just basically looking at photographs and I just saw this tiny, tiny person on this enormous horse <laughs> and I had hundreds of photographs, but I looked at this picture of a horse standing on the hill. He was nearly eighteen hands. And I just remember saying, that lady needs help because he's huge, she's tiny. And that's how I met Marcia and Legal Democrat. And he was the one that went on uh, to win those three titles for me. So great memories. Oh, lovely memories. And I mean, as you said, it's been such a such a successful year for you. Obviously, a lot of a lot of success coming in quite a short period of time over those two sort of back to back weeks. How have you been celebrating since? How, how have you sort of been been marking that success? Um, we didn't have time, as you said. You don't very often have time to actually think about what happened. You don't have time to enjoy it. Um, so I literally, after the, the championships, I went uh, down to Spain for a week. And um, that was just, just amazing. It's a great time of year to go September mm. there. It's quiet, it's peaceful, just lying on the beach and just literally just chilling out, just thinking about it all. And actually, for the yeah. first time I was there, I could watch my tests, actually like 
start to, you know, only a dressage rider could do that. But, you know, you start watching your test and the first thing you do is like, oh, I've got to get that better. Oh, I've got to get that better. Oh. You know, so I thought, stop doing that. Just enjoy it. Watch them. Enjoy it. There's another year to get it all better again. Yeah. So that was that was great. And now I'm back to um, what we call the uh, masterclass season. So I'm heading off to Canada uh, this week and then Sweden. And it's that time of year where you, you know, where, where all these things fit in. So mm. give me another three weeks and then uh, everything's finished and done for the season. I can just enjoy my riding <laughs> and training again, really can properly relax I mean yeah. as you said masterclass season obviously time to as well as you do all year round but especially at this time of year impart so much of your your wisdom to so many other people um and Carl you are such an incredible inspiration to so many people and I mean I'm hearing every year I think the calls get get louder and louder for uh, for you to receive a knighthood um I don't want that <laughs> I would love to know who inspires you both both within the dressage world and you know in the wider world in in life generally who who's your biggest inspiration um well you know I there's a lot of people I admire in the dressage world people that have trained me in my past and uh, that have been there for me all the way through but mm. you know somebody who sort of who got into my head about learning how to train horses the great Harry Bolt from my past, who I still occasionally see. If I go to Australia, he lives down there now. It's always wonderful to see Harry. He's, he was a big influence when I was um, in my young years at Dr. B's. Dr. B himself, of course, because if he hadn't um, you know, picked me up and spotted me back in those days, I wouldn't be probably here now. So Yeah, and that's, of course, the, the late Dr. Bakhtashema. Yeah, and Anna, of course, um, you know, we've been friends for years. Sometimes you meet friends through the years of of, um, of your career. And I would say, you know, we have probably, you know, been there for each other over all these, you know, over this old 30 odd years now mm. of me competing. So that is just, um, you know, just a few that I could mention basically. And, and, and obviously I, I suppose what I want to say in how my daily life works is of course, Charlotte and I working together, you know, like to actually keep the, energy the focus the inspiration you know if I was doing this on my own it wouldn't be the same at all yeah so you know that's where it comes from now that's what inspires me now you know the people I teach and particularly obviously like as I said with Charlotte being there every day you know we worked together the relationships got better um, in helping each other no jealousy that's really important of course it's rivalry but it's (laughs) you know we want the best for each other so yeah that's how that really works and then, um, you know, I think outside of outside of the horses, it, I, I just feel like nowadays how the world, you, you know, like has developed. It's just people that are bringing things together. I mean, that really, I think, is inspirational. When you when, when you see what people are doing for other people, when you see, mm. you know, the, the the news can be so boring, downing, and yet there are so many stories out there, of course, that we don't touch on. Mm. Uh, in and out of uh, the equestrian world that that I find inspiring so too many to talk about but it's just positive positivity positive people they're the the people that you want to be around yeah absolutely that's so lovely to hear um 
and sort of within the within the the, the dressage world are there any any riders and horses perhaps from sort of lower down the levels or maybe you know those who are maybe not as, as well known who have really caught your eye this year I know you've mentioned a couple of horses that you really admired at the among the young horse finalists at the nationals is there any one that you are really you know excited to keep following keep following over the next few years I love Nicola Buchanan's mare um the one the seven-year-olds oh yes of course St Giles flamboyant Nicola showed me a few of her extra moves outside of the arena that the horse could do <laughs> very much talented oh, yeah. make your eyes pop out your head and <laughs> of course it's great to see Becky who's worked so hard Becky over Moody. so many years yeah and you know with so many horses all give that give 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 Becky another year or two and you know <laughs> she's going to have an incredible team um of what lo- look like very talented horses there uh to bring through and out on the big stage, in the international stage, you know, there is, well, you can never not look at all the new horses coming through for the German team. It's going to yeah. be really, really exciting for next year. It's just not, you know, you think it's a clear-cut thing, but there'll be some horses uh, that I've seen, you know, just at the lower levels of Grand Prix out there and uh, looking very exciting and just beginning to get some early results in the 70s. And they're the ones that you keep your eye on because you know that's their early early days yeah yeah absolutely and I mean it has been so so fantastic to watch so many wonderful horses this year and obviously looking ahead to next year and of course one of the most wonderful horses we've watched this year has been fame with with your under your amazing guidance watching him blossom has been really special um and now as you said the season really has wound down and yeah of course you've got your masterclasses coming up um what will the what will the winter hold hold for you once that is once that is over obviously you know a quieter time a well-deserved rest what do you normally sort of get up to at that time of year yeah I mean th- th- normally I would have to say the master classes keep going all the way through to December this year I'm trying to get them all done now by uh end of October and just producing some some more horses at home you know I've got some really lovely I've got a beautiful five-year-old a beautiful six-year-old um you know that I you know that still is my passion producing enough another horse so yeah that is really yeah. that is where I would like things to go and that will inspire me for the winter really I'll just keep doing it. a bit more riding and training over the winter you know I've tried to commit myself towards next year I'm feeling excited about it and um, I'm just going to think about that because that's coming around really quickly I cannot believe <laughs> that in a year's time this will all be over and uh you know another olympics will have come and gone and you know i just have to keep my fingers crossed that i'm riding well enough and the horses are going well enough to try and be part of that team for next next year absolutely well i really really hope that we do get to see you ride in paris and carl it's been a complete privilege and a pleasure to watch you ride and perform this year as as it is every year and it's also such a privilege and a pleasure to be able to chat to you all about it as well thank you so much for coming on the horse and hound podcast today and as always thank you for everything that you do it's been a pleasure and polly i want to wish you well i know you're moving on to uh pastures new and uh, you've been so wonderful supportive for all of us riders and in the articles you write and for the sport so thank you very much and good luck to you Thank you, Carl.
Thank you, Carl, and to Polly for that interview. As Carl said, that was actually Polly's final appearance on the Horse and Hand podcast as she's sadly leaving our team to pursue a great new opportunity. We'll miss you a lot, Polly, but we look forward to introducing all our podcast listeners to our new dressage editor in due course. For now, it's time to hear some advice from the sponsor of this episode, Spillers. We have Spillers nutritionist Georgina Burgoyne here to talk about conditioning going into winter. Over to you, Georgina. Hi everyone, it's great to be here. Um, Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about our horse's condition going into winter. So in essence, you know, if we've got a fat horse, use winter to slim them down. Whereas for our poor doers, the aim is to prevent um, weight loss before it starts. And, you know, for all of our horses, regular monitoring is key and, and just ensuring that your horse, if they're prone to losing weight or gaining weight, you know, we just need to be proactive and, you know, keep an eye on them is, is the best strategy. So first of all, for our good doers, um, this is your opportunity for them to lose weight. So winter is the time. So all spring and summer, you know, they are trying to store fat. Um, In the winter, however, they have evolved to lose it. So essentially, you know, they are working with you finally. This is your time to get your results. So forage management, I have, you know, come across lots of people, they get to winter or the clocks go back and that's it. You know, all of their provisions that they've worked really hard for all spring and summer stop. However, we need to continue to manage our horses forage intake if they are, you know, really very good doers. One slice of hay might contribute the same amount of calories as, you know, a scoop of competition mix, for example. Don't be tempted to just keep throwing hay over the door. You know, they will look at you very hungrily um, and yeah every time we throw more hay over the door that's that's lots of calories going in their stable with them for them to eat so we're looking at a minimum of 1.5 percent current body weight on a dry matter basis for the large majority of horses and ponies which on average equates to sort of you know approximately eight to nine kilos of hay for a 500 kilo horse without grazing on an ad fed or a fresh weight basis So the term dry matter is a common cause of confusion, but it's really important, especially for horses and ponies on restricted rations. So essentially all forage, even dry or unsoaked hay, contains some water and the water doesn't count towards your horse's forage intake. So the term as fed or fresh weight describes the amount of hay or haylage you weigh out. Dry matter is what you feed minus the water content. But the takeaway you know, point from this really is just not to offer your horse ad lib. Now it's winter when you've been working so hard all spring and summer. Um, you know, we want to slow them down. So if we are restricting them little and, you know, little and often to prevent boredom, you know, and if we can reducing those levels of WSC as well. When we're thinking about how much hay to offer, we really need to consider, you know, what is still out in their field in terms of grass, what's available. We will never know exactly how much, but just be guided by their weight. If your horse is still overweight, that tells you they're finding too much. We perhaps need to reduce their ration in hay. If they're underweight, you know, we need to be offering more. So first of all, how can we help to reduce levels of WSC, which is water-soluble carbohydrates? Um, So, yes, soaking hay is one of the most effective ways that we know to help us to do this. Unfortunately, however, um, this is a question we're often faced with and there is conflict in advice around it. The variability factor means answers are not set in stone. So research has shown the length of soak and water temperature both influence WSC losses and results are highly variable. Soaking also results in some loss of vitamins, minerals and soluble protein and a significant loss of dry matter. 
So the loss of dry matter means each hay net will contain less hay and more water post-soaking. Soaking also increases um, microbial contamination, although the potential impact of this on health is still not fully understood. So what does that offer us in terms of practical tips? Essentially, you know, the advice we would offer, soak for one to three hours in warm weather and six to 12 hours in colder weather. So that will offer us, as we, far as we know, maximum leaching of WSC. Soaking, unfortunately, does not guarantee suitability for laminitics, however. You know, ideally, this is where owners should be choosing low you know, WSC hay, um, and we're looking for less than 10 to 12%. However, if we start with a hay that already has um, 30% and we reduce by up to 50%, that will still only offer us 15%, which still isn't low enough, given that we were trying to aim for less than 10 to 12. If we are soaking for an hour or more, we should increase the amount of hay soaked by approximately 20% unless you are feeding ad lib. This will help to ensure the total forage intake is not restricted too severely. So when we're talking about soaking versus steaming hay, we have lots of questions around steaming and horse owners confused about what it's actually achieving. So a number of studies have shown steaming is by far the superior option for improving hygienic quality, reducing the number of respirable particles, which is those um, small enough to inhale, and also reducing microbial um, contamination. But it's not very effective at reducing levels of WSC. Although it's you know, much less practical for owners to do this, soaking followed by steaming achieves the best of both worlds. So it reduces the sugar by soaking and then improving the hygienic quality by steaming. Just remember, however, homemade steamers may actually act as an incubator for bacteria, so making the situation worse. And we do really therefore need a, a suitable, well-made steamer. So strip grazing, another useful tool when it comes to restricting our horse's grass intake um, and total forage intake. So researchers show strip grazed ponies gain significantly less weight compared to ponies given free access to a restricted amount of grazing over a 28-day period, regardless of whether a back fence was used. In fact, strip grazing without a back fence was no less effective than strip grazing with a back fence, even though the grazing area just got larger every day. However, we do need to consider the fact that this might depend on how big the field is to begin with, how many horses are grazing, your horse's body condition, and rate of grass growth. So essentially, we just need to apply this science practically and think about you know, our own horses as an individual and, and what we have in front of us. Muzzles are really you know, really useful tool, again, when it comes to reducing grass intake. They must be introduced gradually and ensure obviously your horse can eat, drink, and they're not getting bullied in the herd. Research has showed um, they can reduce grass intake by an average of up to 80%, regardless of the season. They can absolutely be used in the winter months, um, provided the glass is long enough and can be accessed through the base of the muzzle. Just you know, ensure that they are being used safely. And there's lots of information on various websites around this. Um, essentially, if you're not sure, again, just seek out a nutritionist and speak to them for individual advice on your horse. So straw can also be used where suitable for some horses and ponies, and it can be used to make up 30 to 50% of the horse's forage ration. We just need to ensure it's clean, and to do this, we can steam the straw before feeding as well. We can use barley, oat and wheat straw. Um, however, all must be introduced gradually to prevent digestive upsets, um, as they have to adapt to chewing slightly differently to they would hay. 
So when we come to actually feeding then, essentially we want to keep our feed to a minimum. Don't be tempted to overfeed our good doers just because it's winter. So they will likely just continue to need a balancer um, with perhaps a handful of chopped fibre or just a small amount of mash. So balancers, I'm sure lots of you will know now, are small nutrient-dense pellets um, offering the vitamins and quality proteins they need but without causing excess weight gain due to the negligible levels of starch, sugar and calories. So they might have varied you know, functional ingredients depending on what your horse requires, um, but all should be low calorie and not contribute to weight gain in any way if we're feeding at the recommended ration. Rugs are really another important factor. And again, it's very tempting to be you know, shopping in the sales and purchasing all these lovely, you know, comfy, beautiful looking rugs. But unfortunately, lots of our good doers just just don't need them. So the thermo neutral zone for horses in mild climates with natural coats is around five to 25 degrees Celsius. If you have a good doer, allowing them to have some rugless time will encourage them to use some of their excess body fat for keeping warm as nature intended. So therefore, you know, just consider less or lighter weight rugs for good doers or, you know, no rugs at all. You know, it's really important to continue to exercise your horses if you can. You know, I know it can be difficult in the winter um, with the daylight hours being so short. Um, it might not contribute a huge amount to weight loss, but it can help promote a healthy metabolism. And of course, you know, will help to prevent you know, that boredom if they're stood in their stable and all they've got to think about is, is food. Um, it might just give them something a little bit more um, interesting to think about in their day. So moving on to our poor doers, you know, the aim here really getting ahead of the weight loss. So you know, consider increasing your feed, perhaps September, October, depending on the weather. Um, you know, might have been even earlier if we've not had any grass through the summer, if we've had summers like we've had just recently. If you have to start feeding lots in December, you know, you've only just increased their feed, you might just find that you're playing catch up the rest of the winter. First of all, then, our forage. Um, so in contrast to our good doers, as much as they like, say ad-lib forage. Haylage isn't necessarily more nutritious than hay, but it might be more palatable. Um, we can only know the value of our forage um, by testing it regularly. And even then, it isn't 100% accurate due to the variance within the bales and the fields themselves that they are cut from. So due to the higher water content of haylage, horses need to consume more haylage than hay on a fresh weight basis to meet dry matter requirement. Again, if you're unsure, just speak to your nutritionist about your horse's individual requirements. So fussy feeders, you know, or some of our poor doers are, are poor doers for a reason. They're just not keen eaters. You know, if they are fussy, then try not to overface them with large quantities of feed. Often, you know, smaller meals throughout the day can be more successful. Um, and try not to bulk the bucket out too much with lower calorie feed stuff. So, you know, sometimes I will see horse owners and they're piling in, you know, scoops and scoops of chaff, which is you know great to have that fiber in the bucket. But if our horse is picky anyway, they might just find that a little bit um, too much and, and struggle to eat it all up. When feeding mashes in particular, ensure you weigh them before soaking to establish their dry weight. So the increase in volume after soaking um, a mash makes it very easy to overestimate how much you are feeding. So just remember, a scoop of soaked mash is predominantly water. Um, and a scoop of soaked sugar beet, for example, is four to five times lower in calories than a scoop of horse and pony cubes. So the takeaway here is feed by weight, not volume. So a scoop of cubes is going to weigh much more than a scoop of chaff. 
So, you know, if, for example, we're needing to feed a 500 kilo horse, you know, perhaps four kilos of, of you know, feed dry weight, that will look a hell of a lot less um, in a scoop of cubes than it will in, in, in chaff. So do just keep that in mind. And again, it's something I see often with our poor doers that people just overestimate how much they're actually feeding by weight. So what to feed? Just remember energy and calories are the same. It is possible for us to feed high energy calorie feeds, but without heating them up. So, you know, it is impossible for us to give our horses more calories without giving them energy because they are the same thing. However, we want to opt for low sugar and starch, high fiber and oil feeds. Oil can be a really effective way of helping horses gain weight, um, but it must be added gradually. So 100 mil per week and balanced with the correct amounts um, of vitamin E to prevent oxidative stress. Essentially, again, speak to your nutritionist about your horse's individual requirements, you know, the supplements they're being fed and, you know, the feed that you have in there already, as that will all determine what you require on top and what you can feed. So all oils will provide a similar level of calories um, and we do just need to make sure they are beaten ops approved, which is naturally occurring prohibitive substances, especially if you are competing. So um, those with specific clinical conditions such as laminitis or Cushing's um, often need help with their weight also. You know, not all laminitic and Cushing's ponies will be fat or overweight. A diet low in non-structural carbohydrates um, or starch and sugar is, is essentially what they require. So in general, this means restricting or removing grazing, choosing fiber-based feeds and ideally feeding a low WSC hay or a hay replacer low in starch and sugar. Feeds high in oil provide excellent alternative to cereal based feeds for those who need additional calories again speak to a nutritionist before giving specific advice especially in cases of severe insulin dysregulation finally feeds high in oil might also be suitable for those who need weight grain and are prone to ulcers um, essentially it's a way of us offering calories safely um, lots of you know again talk around ulcers so if you are unsure you know, do feel free just to pick up the phone and get further advice. So rugs um, for our poor doers, again, <laughs> contrasting to our good doers, you know, it's essentially keeping our horses that are um, struggling to maintain weight um, rugged up as, as much as possible and keeping them rugged appropriately. So horses that are elderly, underweight or recently clipped will benefit from wearing the appropriate rug both in the stable and when out in the field. So making sure our poor doers are correctly rugged helps to prevent them wasting valuable energy keeping warm. Remember, our senior horses might actually have difficulty regulating their body temperature as well, therefore need their rugs changing more frequently. So getting too hot can actually affect their appetite and, of course, then contribute to their weight loss as well. So it's vital that all rugs are used um, in the correct way and have a comfortable fit to prevent rubbing and sores um, occurring, especially over the wither area. Um, just, you know, rugs can also hide a multitude of sins. So we need to remove them regularly to assess your horse's body condition. So this leads us to, you know, assessing our horse's current condition and being able to judge what's the best feed for them um, with all these, you know, all of these factors in mind. So there is lots of info um, on our website as well on how you can do this, but just a little run through of the options that we have available to us to help us manage our horse's condition and weight and monitor you know, what it is they need. 
So the body condition scale, you know, we use a scale of one to nine, which specifically assesses five points of the horse. So the neck, the wither, the shoulder, the ribs, the loins and the tail head. Body condition scoring is a practical method of assessing body fat by eye and touch. Several areas where fat is commonly laid down are scored using a numerical grading system, most commonly a one to nine or zero to five scale. We recommend using the more widely validated one to nine scale, but whichever system is used, the most important thing is to apply it consistently. We also have body condition index, a more objective method of assessing body fat. It's similar to BMI in humans, and it uses a mathematical equation to calculate a score between one and nine using four body measurements. Again, lots of information on our website on this if you want to give it a go. The weigh tape, lots of you are familiar with these, I'm sure. You know, you can see them um, in just about every tax shop. They might not give you an accurate weight, but they are useful to assess if they're going up or down when they're used correctly. You know, just ensure that perhaps, you know, the same person is doing the measurement each time and you're obviously doing it in the same place every time to try and give you, you know, an accurate guide. The Weight Bridge, you know, this is a service that lots of feed companies offer, also vets, and you might be able to offer a public Weight Bridge as well. Um, but you do need to do the body condition scoring at the same time to try and establish what weight is actually right for your horse. Yes, having an accurate weight can be useful for worming. Um, but as I said, actually knowing whether your horse is the right weight will be better established by you know, body condition scoring rather than the Weight Bridge itself. So moving on to age, workload, temperament, how these play a part um, in you know, managing our horse's condition and, and the differences that it might mean when we're, we're trying to feed them. So older horses, considering their ability to eat forage first and foremost is you know, going to be so very important. And they might actually require you know, a full hay replacer. And there are lots of options across you know, um, feeds nowadays that will offer you this. Um, and if we offer a hay replacer, if they are struggling to eat their forage, this will help us to avoid significant weight loss. You know, older horses, again, you know, considering those clinical conditions, they're more likely to, to perhaps suffer from. So Cushing's and laminitis, they might benefit from some joint support in their feed. And just to add to that, you know, being overweight will, of course, be a hindrance to their joints and other organs. Getting too hot can also lead to a reduced appetite. Older horses, again, you know, struggling to regulate their body temperature. So just making sure, like we said before, monitoring those rugs really carefully and getting it right for your individual horse. Excitable horses, you know, lots of people worried about feeding these kind of horses that perhaps have a tendency to get heated or fizzy or excited, um, especially in the winter when they're maybe not able to get out so much and they're stabled more often. Um, it is possible to feed these horses high calorie, therefore energy diets, without hopefully making them silly and heated. We just need to aim, again, for high fibre and oil, low sugar and starch. Trust your nutritionist. Try not to be scared and do just give it a go because, as I said, it is a possibility. Laid back horses, actually very difficult to influence these guys with food. Um, some might become flat in the winter. Um, the most important thing is to ensure you're offering a balanced diet, but not overfeeding and causing them to gain weight. As we've said previously, remembering that energy and calories are the same thing. Um, so if we give them more energy, we're also giving them more calories. Essentially, this is just going to make them fatter and potentially make them more lethargic um, because we're trying to you know, 
ask them to carry more weight around than they were previously. Workload, finally, you know, rather than thinking too much about whether or not your horse is in high or low workload during the winter, um, you need to be assessing their body condition to try and establish what feed they require. So, you know, essentially base it on forage and then add feed in based on, you know, whether they need just additional nutrients or calories as well. So a horse in hard work might not necessarily need more calories in the winter. You know, lots of horses do well on, you know, just a balancer in the winter, even if they're in harder work. So, you know, moving on to then um, horse owners and, you know, monitoring and recording your horse's body weight as they go into winter um, and you know, where you want them to be really in those sort of early months of, of winter. So October, November, December. So if we can, you know, using at least one of the methods that we discussed above, um, so weigh tape weekly and body conditions fortnightly is, is the best practice. Um, and of course, yes, remembering to take those rugs off regularly for general monitoring as well. Although always aiming for a healthy body weight, unfortunately, good doers may go into winter above the ideal score of five following the spring and summer months. Um, but by the end of the winter, ideally, we need them to slim down um, to a five, if not a four and a half, perhaps some good doers closer to a four. I always suggest that, um, you know, for our good doers, we want to allow them breathing space as such for when they go into the spring and summer, inevitably, they're going to put some weight on. If they start out at a five, by the end of those months, they're going to be at least a six, which is ideally um, not what we want. Provided they're not laminitic, poor doers can be allowed to go into the winter a little heavier. Um, so perhaps a body condition score of a six, knowing that they're likely to drop to perhaps a four and a half or a four by the end of winter. So, you know, it's almost a little buffer. Um, if we know they're going in a little bit heavier and we're going to struggle to keep that weight on in the winter, it gives us that little buffer to allow that to happen. Even for our poor doers, however, remember it is natural for horses to lose weight over the winter. Yes, we do not want them to be too light, however, through November, December, as by the end of those winter months, they may, being, you know, may end up being extremely light. Um, and good doers, if they are not starting to lose by November, December, remember you've then only got a very short window really before they start gaining weight again um, in those spring months, perhaps you know, as early as February, March. I know in past you know, recent years, we've had 18 degrees in February, which you know, will of course mean that the grass will rapidly be growing um, and you can just see how, how short your frame of time is for that weight loss to happen. So thanks, everybody. I really hope it was useful and you all have managed to get some helpful tips. Thank you, Georgina. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Spillers. We'll be back at the end of November, so we look forward to talking to you then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.